0: Garrett McQueen here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this Triloquy replay. The team likes to take a little break every 50 opuses. That's a lot. 50 opuses, you know, it's very important to avoid burnout and all that sort of thing. So we'll be back with a brand new opus of Triloquy in two weeks. Be sure to stay tuned for that. I'm not going to leave you completely empty-handed this week though. We have a nice replay coming up, and I also thought I'd let you know about some of the other bits of uh, so-called classical music decolonization that's going on out in the world. First and foremost, the one and only Giovanna Joseph of New Orleans is presenting 500 Years Musicians and Composers of African Descent in Classical Music and Opera. That's on Thursday, May 20th at 6:30 p.m. M Central. Huge shout out to Giovanna Joseph and everyone down there in New Orleans. Maybe you've been keeping up with the saga surrounding the Eastman School of Music and Mr. Jasanti Henry. Well, the school's Black Student Union is doing the work to deal with the problem of being Black in public, as it were sometimes for us, if you know what I mean. Huge shout out to Mr. Henry for your uh, continued safety and to everyone up there doing the good work over at Eastman. Shout out to the Black Student Union over there And finally, the International Contemporary Ensemble and Dr. Naomi Andre are hosting the Afro-Diasporic Opera Forum online May 26th through 28th. That's in conjunction with Fringe Arts and Opera Omaha. I'll put information about all of those events and initiatives in the description of this replay. This Triloquy replay is made possible in part by the Schubert Club. Huge thanks to everyone over there for continuing to support the work. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. If you would like to support Triloquy, you can do that on the Triloquy website, T R I L L O Q U Y dot O R G. Thank you so much. So, as you may know, this is Asian American Heritage Month this month of May. There are lots of conversations about how China, Japan, maybe even Korea are centered when we talk about. Uh, the celebration of Asian heritage and Asian American heritage, but it's really important to recognize India as a very important part of this celebration as well. During season one of Triloquy, Scott and myself had the pleasure of learning about not only an Indian instrument, specifically a South Indian instrument called the Veena. Nirmala Rajasekar and her friend Bhupati joined us for a little conversation and a little music, a little improvisation. I know some of you may not have been here for season one, so I wanted to make sure i gave this really great bit of content some room during our little triloquy break here again thank you so much for your continued support of triloquy i will see you again here next week for one more replay before we start season three of the triloquy podcast for now here's our feature of nirmala and Bupati from season one namaste,
1: namaste. Vanakam, Vanakam. as we say in tamil
0: <laughs> okay
1: say, say
0: that again for me I'm going to do my best today. I'm, I'm going to butcher a lot of pronunciations. I'm sorry.
1: I think you do always a fabulous job. So, oh.
0: <laughs> Well, uh, the, the first thing I wanted to uh, sort of talk about before we really dig into the topic um, is the idea of being this cultural representative so for me you know uh, as a, as a black musician people always want me to speak for black musicians and uh, i'm sure you know with something as unique as the music the two of you play you maybe that's a part of uh, what you've experienced in the past as far as your presentations and interviews i'm curious
1: Yes and no, Um, not in a big way, but definitely in some ways, as soon as they particularly see me with my instrument, Mm. that provokes a lot of questions and interesting questions because it's quite unique when you play a 2,000-year-old instrument and you travel with it. And for me, it's an absolute honor and privilege to play something that's that old. And yet that's something that's thriving and so dynamically developing over the years, because it's certainly not in the shape and form it was 2,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. So yes, you're right. I do get asked about uh, coming from the East Indian, South Indian, if I may, cultural uh, tradition and playing an instrument and living in the United States of America in Minnesota. You know, all these are tremendous areas uh, for opening up and sharing because many times we find When people play Indian classical music, they are, if they live in the States, which is rare itself, when you're a professional, you kind of live in your country uh, where you're trying to put yourself on the map, and I am not doing that, so that's the first thing. But I have to say I'm blessed to be in Minnesota and I'm thrilled that this has been my home for 25 years and I'm able to travel. Otherwise, people settle down on the east or west coast, mm. particularly California, New York, yeah. um, New Jersey, you know, where there's a very big concentration of the East Indian population, if I may. And then Minnesota doesn't figure on that list, at least did not figure on that list. But now Minnesota is a hub hopping with activity in the Indian classical dance and music scene. And we um, we can't even keep up with the number of events that come to town. Mm-hmm. There's so many happening every weekend. And I don't know whether it's that these people that moved in the past 10, 15 years loved the cold particularly, but for some reason... Weird. Many reasons, actually. Weird. Um, we have gotten used to uh, seeing a lot of activity. So I've kind of become known for a musician that that lives in a country far away from india but Mm -hmm. still playing professionally and traveling and you have to feel incredibly lucky about it i mean the stars must have aligned in a big way and we always say in the indian culture the blessings of your previous generation and elders shower heavily on you so the good things that my parents and my grandparents and ancestors and my teachers have all done we get to bear you know have the fruit the tree was planted a long time ago and they did good things so i believe i'm getting the benefit of all of that. Wow.
2: You mentioned uh, You mentioned just uh, a few moments ago that you feel blessed yes. to be able to carry on this tradition. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about that because I don't know if I've spoken with anyone, any other musicians that talk about their music being a blessing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, that, yes. So can you talk, about, uh, both of you, if you could uh, talk a little bit about what it means to carry this music forward.
1: Sure. I say that with absolute uh, truth in every sense of the word, because for a 2,000-year-old oral tradition to survive and thrive, the first thing is the fact that we have the audio oral oral
3: mm-hmm. transmission
1: of it from generation to generation. So that is the first thing about Indian classical music. And to receive that, one needs to have the best of the teachers. Mm. One needs to have the best of the guidance from the home that will take you to the best teachers. So that was a big blessing that I got the best teachers for both vocal, music, and my instrument. So I got to learn from many, many great teachers, performers, and therefore I feel blessed on that account. The second thing is... When I began to study music, yes, I dreamt of being a professional musician from the age of maybe three or four. I would oh, wow. stand on anything that looked remotely like a stage, <laughs> uh, find even a vegetable that looked like a microphone, okay. a long cucumber <laughs> sure. or a goat. snake gourd. There's a big uh, thing in India, a very long vegetable called the snake gourd, which literally looks like a snake, a long snake. I would hold all of that as microphone cables and sing away to glory Imagine myself. But practically speaking, I went to school, um, took music spri- privately, lessons, passed many exams privately, but always went to school, got my master's in systems management and computer science.
3: Oh, nice.
1: Yes, and began a half done PhD in artificial intelligence in England, thinking naively that I could do both. Be a professional musician, which I began when I was age 13. I played my first solo of about two to three hours concert in Bangalore, India. And then did all the things anybody would do, like going to school, going to undergrad, grad, and all of that, and thinking I could do both. I really needed a lot of blessing, first, to be able to carry on my music, having a second office-going job, That was a big blessing. Mm -hmm. So I got the opportunities even as I was working. Then to have a family and raise two children. And then finally to leave India and Chennai, which is the hub for South Indian classical music, and go living all over the world, including England and and Switzerland, and then finally in Minnesota, and still dream of being a musician. Wouldn't you agree? I must have had a lot of blessings to make these dreams come true. true. And a lot of people's positive energies supporting me. Some of the blessings that I have to count on my teachers, my parents, of course, my grandpa, my extended family of uncles, aunts, my sister, but my husband, Shaker, who had no clue what hit him when we got married. <laughs> because the poor man thought I was a computer engineer, uh-huh. like he was. Yeah. And I'm going to go to office and come home and play the veena for entertainment, ah. uh, maybe, and for fun. But he never imagined that he was going to go on buses in England carrying this big thing because I had no case for it in those days. I didn't even plan all that. The universe just gave me things as it kept going. And then, of course, to carry it and bring it back from England, which he said he would never do on a ship ever again, and I needed to get a case (laughs) for it. Mm -hmm. We brought it back on a cardboard box, I mean, of all things. Because I knew nothing more than that at those ages. I was 23 or 24 years old. And then, of course... um, I learned along the way that things have to fall in place. I still continue to work the job uh, that I did um, and go to work and enjoy my work at the office and do supply chain management and all kinds of things in the computer world. Mm -hmm. Before I said, I'm kind of feeling like I'm shortchanging the children and I'm shortchanging my practice Mm. of music and teaching. I I loved it that I got up at four and went to bed at 12, but I just felt I still couldn't get enough practice and take care of the kids better. So when my son came into ninth grade, uh, my husband and I, we took this big decision to give up that big job with a big hefty pay packet and go back to music. And... The universe blessed me with the Bush Fellowship. I had no yes. idea I would win it that year. That was the same. I quit my job in March. My I went to my company and said, give me a part-time job. And they laughed and said, each of you are doing two, three people's jobs. Because no, right after no. Y2K, you know, they oh, let course. go a lot yeah. of people. So they said, no, like, go back, take some time off, come back, we'll give you a job. And so I left with that assurance. But then a month later, the Bush Foundation you know blessed me with that fellowship which helped substitute somewhat that pay packet that i was not going to get right away soon we learned that i could keep doing this and i was feeling much happier um i was being more of an efficient chauffeur ch- to my children because that involved a lot of driving kids around and didn't um i didn't feel com- like i was compromising them i was practicing and and then of course that was about 15 years maybe ago or 14 years ago And I've been since I've made a few tours around the country, a few tours around the globe. Mm. And my position in India is becoming um, um, more secure, if I may. But if you can ever call security as a word in the musician's bag. Right, especially (laughs) as a musician. As a musician. um, I just hope and pray that I will be blessed to continue playing as long as I'm around. As long as I'm around, I wish I can have most of my hearing. Yes. Um, And if possible, my eyesight Mm -hmm. and if possible, the capacity to sit cross legged and play, if not sit on a chair and play at some point, if I can't sit down. But I really would like to play and sing till the very last minute that, you know, I have to leave the earth. Sounds morbid, but that's truly my dream. And uh, I'm greatly humbled by the support I've received from the community here in Minnesota, around the world, my own home for me mm. to continue this journey. Miles and miles to go before I sleep. I know I'm taking out of Robert Frost, but yes. that used yeah. to be one of my favorite lines. And these woods are dark and deep, particularly when there's snow down, but yep. I love them. Yes. I love them. Bhupati ji should probably tell us about his thoughts about it. Could you touch upon your gurukula a little bit?
4: Actually, same same thing Nimla said. Uh, I'm very blessed to have this music profession as a Mrdang, Mrdangam artist. Mm-hmm. So, from childhood, I'm very passionate about this rhythmic patterns uh, with the drums. Mm-hmm. So, that's why I came to this line. Um, the My instrument called South Indian drum is Mrdangam. Mrdangam. So it's a king of percussion for the South Indian classical music art form. Mm-hmm. So I'm enjoying my profession. Um, about my childhood, uh, until today, I'm practicing and uh, being with all the artists and playing with them, with my gurus, my teachers' mm-hmm. blessings. I playing with all stalwarts in South Indian classical music, music and also a North Indian artists, as well as Western friends. Mm-hmm. Because of uh, Animla, uh, uh she introduced lot of Western art artists so to work with them so we collaborate lot of albums and uh, gigs, mm-hmm. ev- everything so I'm actually I toured a lot since nine, 91 uh, I, I will be out of country about 6-7 months mm. so, so for the concert tour
0: and is this in India or or everywhere?
4: Everywhere, oh, all wow. over the world. Oh wow! Where, uh, where this music is um, happening? Mm-hmm. So most probably I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my teacher's blessing and Swami's blessing.
2: So Nirmala said that she was making music with anything she could find when she was young. So what was your first drum? was it a pot in the house that's a or?
4: bench
3: uh, bench <laughs> Really I,
2: yeah that's about uh, that uh, you know I'm a
4: yeah <laughs> bo- box so you know, milk, milk powder dubbas <laughs> everything everything and just I I stand somewhere else I just
2: hit something so, d- were there were there other uh, musicians in your family to give you your yeah, first yeah, yeah, lessons yeah.
4: my my um, uncles or all the, everybody all the musicians yeah uh, there is there are it's called Nadaswaram and Tavil oh. Is a um, traditional, uh, what what we can say?
1: Temple instruments. Temple
4: instruments. Okay. They are
1: very loud. Nadaswaram is a wind instrument. You will see it. Uh, it's
4: they, open air instruments. Open air. Nadaswaram and Tawil. Okay. Thav- it's an open air instrument. Traditional uh, temples. Uh, tradi- uh,
1: They're outdoor instruments used in temples for services. Now also concert hall. Now they have come into the concert hall. The tawil is a very powerful drum. I mean, it's like the taiko drum in many ways. It's very powerful. And um, they have to wear special um, caps on their fingers which are made of uh, paste and dried so it's really strong and okay. when they play that on one hand and a stick on the other it's very powerful the mridangam that bubadianna plays is played with the fingers there's sure. no extra you know uh, accompaniments to his fingers but there they have a stick on one hand and it's just mind blowing and it's very loud so our outdoors seem to suit really well but these days they have concerts of these instruments. They are used in marriages. They are used in temple processions. And Bhubadhyana's um, uncle, uh, uncles were very renowned musicians. Your father was a very well-known movie director and playwright and musician himself.
0: Oh, oh nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious about, um, you know, uh, we're using this phrase classical music and and Indian (laughs) classical music. Um, I think I've told you the story. I'll I'll, I'll tell it uh, very quickly before I entered the the music profession. I worked for a, a cab company. And as I was leaving, the owner of the cab company told me, well, I know a lot about Indian classical music, but not much about Western. So I'm curious to learn more. And that was the first time that a light bulb went off in my mind, wow, that phrase classical music doesn't just refer to what we Westerners think of as classical music. I'm curious, how do you apply that phrase classical music? What is your opinion uh, on, on the phrase classical music?
1: Thank you for asking, Garrett, because that is uh, sometimes a question that I get asked a lot. Is Indian music folk? Mm-hmm. Do you have a mm-hmm. classical? Because classical oh, okay. in the West comes across as a Western
3: tradition. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: And I didn't realize this for a very long time because I grew up in India and I didn't leave the shores of India till I was 16. But that was my first time when somebody asked me that question because I grew up around Indian classical music. Mm-hmm. When we were little children, the tradition was you take your kids to either dance or music privately or painting or something like that, give them a fine art. But typically it was dance and music. Sure. Classical Indian dance, classical Indian music. This is what families would do for their children. And that's how my induction happened, too. So the word classical, I'm asked this a lot, too. What do you defi- define as classical? I think is something that's been around for a long time, something that has a very strong grammar, whose rules are fairly strict. Mm-hmm. And I think this can apply to many classical traditions because we have rules, we have grammar, and we've been around for a bit. But the Indian classical tradition did take a lot from the folk. There are ragas, which we know. Raga means a melody with a scale going up and down, but basically it's emotion. A raga is an mm. emotion. And South Indian music technically has 34,776 ragas.
2: Holy smoke. <laughs> okay. Yes,
1: but Scott, wouldn't you say we as human beings have much more than 34,776 emotions? Sure. Because a raga is an emotion, sure. so you're happy, you're somewhat happy, you're very happy, you're greatly happy, you're thrilled. This itself is for ragas, because they're all not the same. So that's what the raga system is. Anyway, I was talking about the raga system, but that's a classical uh, sure. you know, uh, idiom. But ragas came from the folk tradition, so there are some ragas which came from working in the fields and the joy of standing out in the open and transplanting rice. There's a song for that. There's songs for going out fishing on the open seas, and that's a folk. But then those things have come into our concert uh, methodology or, or our com- concert repertoire, if you may. And some ragas came in and have become very classical versions of those folk ragas. Ananda Bhairavi is one of those ragas, which they say is S- Senjuruti. There's another raga, which which is a folk, but we use it in very classical terms also. It has a folksy look at it too. So the line does blur when yeah. you start bringing in life into music, because ultimately this is all about the human space, the human spirit, and the human experience. So ragas are nothing more than the everyday representation of the human experience in my book.
0: Maybe there's a raga for you know meeting new friends. Yes, and, I'm and sure coming we, together for the first time. Shall
1: we try singing together? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> we could, we could because you know how is your day today? day mm, After all, we can translate right. that into a melody. It's raining. Mm, mm, sure. You know, so that could be a certain set of notes. So there's valor, there's bravery, and there's all these. Different, really different emotions, but there's also very close, related feelings. Thoughtful, deeply thoughtful, pensive. You know, you could get into that space and really start playing around. Ultimately, I may sing it in a certain way, feeling something, but you may experience something quite different from my music. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it's what we perceive and what we take away with us.
2: A friend of mine once said that in this music... Whereas Garrett and I with a musician, uh, with uh, with an instrument might play in a key.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: In this music, it's more you play in a feeling. Is mm-hmm. that is that what I'm gathering from what you said?
1: There's definitely that. But if you'd really started talking grammar, you will see when I play today, we have what is called the basic tone, a pitch. Mm-hmm. That could okay. be also construed as a key. But the entire concert will be played in that basic tone, being... Say E is the tonic. Uh-huh. We build the ragas with that yeah, E. Yeah,
0: I, I think maybe in the Western tradition we will call that a drone. Yes. Okay.
1: And we, I would love to use that word. I just didn't go there, but that's the drone. Oh, okay. That's really okay, the great. drone. Got it. And yeah. the Indian music's mother, they say, is Shruti, which is the word for drone. Mm. And the father of Indian music, they say, is Laya, which is basic rhythm. Mm-hmm. Not a measured six beat, uh, three-fourth, it's not that. It's just the rhythm that we all have going in here. And when that heart does not go properly, then we have the opposite of laya, which is avalaya, which is uh, something not okay. Yeah. So Indian music believes that there is order in the universe, and that order, whatever that be, is The basis of the father of the music so it's a very familial (laughs) system Mm -hmm. mother and father and all of that but they say that because the role of parents is also very highly revered in the society Mm. the role of the teacher the guru Mm -hmm. and the role of the parents the guru is said to be that light which you switch on when you get into a room to see what is in that room but really that room is you Without the light, we don't see this room. But just imagine, once we put on the light, I can see the speakers, I can see the microphones and all of that. If we were this room, the guru is that spark that awakens in us what is us, really. They are just awakening who we are. So it is so important to find the right guru to realize ourselves mm. i just find this concept so mind blowing mm. that the guru is remover of ignorance Gu and ru exactly means that remover dispelling darkness removing ignorance write
0: that down i I'm, you know i have to say i'm i'm getting really moved by <laughs> um, you know how you can't separate this music from the culture and yes. from the feeling of of being a person. Um, and uh, but Patti, I wanted to go back to the idea of playing um, in a mood. How do you? What what is the relationship between how you feel in a moment and the music you're playing? Can you play a a happier uh, sounding raga. If you're if you're actually a little sad, or you, or if you're actually a little angry, what what is the relationship between those two things?
4: Um, actually, when when we are playing with a song, with the song, it's like a happy mood, mm-hmm. or a, it's very sad, or it's very uh, spiritual. So the raga, they composed with a song that that like mode so same same thing we have to adapt that mode in mm. with our body and fingering everything we we have to apply for the song so actually in uh, uh, in on the stage uh, we have to play or accompaniment, the artist is not only for the thala, not only for the song, Is we have to play for the mood of the song and uh, raga and the ambience. Mm. So together we have to observe absorb it, absorb it
0: and we have to reproduce. With our art, sure, and, and you know, Scott, what I'm thinking about right now is that if, you know, I go on stage and play, let's say, a, a Brahms symphony or a Tchaikovsky symphony, the way I feel has very little to do with yeah. the notes that that, that I'm playing. And, and again, I'll say it again: I'm I'm so moved by um, how you know the relationship between body and spirit and music mm-hmm. and and setting. It's it, it's it's an incredible thing for me to think about.
1: Absolutely. There is a composition we were talking about. um, This weekend, I was out in, in a concert in a different state. And we were talking about this piece, which translates to, you're going to laugh when I tell you this, because you've heard this already elsewhere. Um, all the world is a stage. Mm. We are but players yeah. and we are mere actors, etc., etc. You know where I'm coming from. Yep. This is not from As You Like It, but this is from a 13th century Indian composer.
0: Mm. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up for us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Called Annamacharya, who lived in South India. And he wrote about the Supreme. And he said, We are mere actors. The songs. Melody has been composed in such a beautiful way. I'm just going to randomly sing. Please. I don't have a G on me right now.
2: There's an app for that.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. I Tanpura. Isn't it Apple? So it's all about the me. I'm going to write it down. We, yeah, I Tanpura. Um, it's a much better app than some of the other ones. Mm, G sharp one. Give me A flat. Yeah, it's morning so it's better.
3: Ah... Na-na-ti-bathuku ta kaivalyamu na na ti Naat kamu, naat kamu, putu ta yuni jamu, po ta yuni jamu, putu ta yuni jamu, po ta nagi nagi kalamu, naat to you, need the moo potayo, need the moo me
1: I was just using that as an example to say nanarte baduku natakamu means all the world is a stage nataka is the word for a play hmm. you know kanadi kannadi what we see what we don't see are parts of this play kaivalyamu then he goes on to say, pututayu nidzamu, potayu nidzamu. Nidzamu means truth. Pututayu is we are going to we are born. That's the truth. Potayu is we're going to go. That's the truth. Nagi nagi kalamu. What is laughing though, because we are playing a game in between, is kalam, which is time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's time sitting and laughing at us, not <laughs> when we don't realize what is it that we are feeling. But what we do know that there is somebody up there, maybe, pulling the strings, and we are merely puppets. Mm. And he's up there. The blue sky is the limit for all of this. But I just love, I just sang a little bit of that song just to say, we are born, we have to go. But in between what happens is this play, and there's time sitting there and having a mighty hearty laugh Mm. (laughs) about the whole thing. And the music that I just sang is poetry from the 13th century in the language Telugu, most beautiful uh, South Indian language. There are five, six languages in which we sing South Indian classic music, like classical Western music, which is sung in so many different languages. Sure, Italian,
0: German. Italian, yeah. German,
1: French, English, and yeah. so many other languages. So we need to know the language. That's important. And when we play this song, the way it's accompanied, as he says, mind, body, and spirit, the drummers have to play it in such a way that the rhythm enhances this feeling. Yes, There is almost a feeling of um, a very pensive thinking, but also something very freeing about this melody, I feel, that there is an answer there. Don't feel like you have to take these responsibilities of your actions. I almost feel the composer is giving a validation of, hey, I'm merely a player, so I can't really be responsible for my actions. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I that's almost an feel like yeah. there's another perspective to that by saying somebody else is controlling it. So in some ways, it'd be better if you just surrendered yourself to that being. Let him take care of you then you will be going, Mm. you know, the right path. Don't think you are doing anything here, you know. In some ways, there's also that duality of that meaning, I think.
2: One of the things, as I sat and listened to you sing, one of the things that I love about this style of music is the fact that, um, you know, like in classical music that we're used to and that Garrett plays on stage, it has corners, you know, you're supposed to play it a certain way. Yeah. Whereas when I heard you singing, there were times where it felt like you were in between notes. Yes. and Or at least in
0: between what we would consider notes. What we would notes, consider yeah. notes.
2: And where that might be undesirable in yes. this sort. But here, it's part of it. And I love that aspect of it. And and there's also an improvisational aspect Very to it, correct?
1: True. I improvised even now oh, in, wow. a,
2: in a big way. That is so wonderful. So that Thank the, you. It, like, um, if you were to give two concerts, one... Right after the next, they would be so drastically different, wouldn't they?
1: Yes, they would be. Even this piece would be different, not in a big way, because the basic emotion, I have to stay true to the intent of the composer of what he's trying to say here or what he has said and gone many centuries ago. But there will be changes here and there. I have to say this. You said something so beautifully, which my professor, my teacher, Professor T.R. Subramaniam of Delhi University would be smiling down on your cart now because he always said, and what Garrett said about what we say notes, <laughs> I like that too. Yep. Um, my teacher always said it so beautifully. He said, Indian music is music between notes. It is ah. a journey. He always would say, we're going to take a train in Delhi. Those days we took more trains than planes and we would land in Chennai which is Madras you know the old name was Madras it's back to its original original name of Chennai which is where I was born we all know that so we start on note a and we are going to go to note z Hmm. we know this but we are going to touch so many stations on the way (laughs) so what is this journey like between this start and this end And then the small station. So what happens between Journey A, Delhi, and the next uh, station, which comes some some other station? What happens there? Did you have a coffee? Did you find tea? Mm. Was the weather good? good. Was the food good? Because the stations are known for their food, too. Indian railway stations used to be known for specialities. So, okay, you're going to get that. So what is your anticipation like? You're going to get this really wonderful thing to eat when you reach the next one. But how was the journey between the notes? Mm. So that is the beauty of Indian music, he says, because we all know we are going to go to the airport or train station and start here and reach there. But, you know, was TSA nice to you today? Mm -hmm. Did they open your baggage? Did they put it back like you packed it? These are things I think about in every journey because I travel with the instrument and my heart is in my mouth most of the time when I'm traveling.
4: So uh, so can you explain for us, uh, uh, like... A raga, some, some raga Kalyani or something. Okay. Can, um, the Aroganam, Avaroganam, and how oh, the curves. You, yeah.
1: Yes, would you give me that drone? I'll be happy to talk yeah. about it. He and, says, and, while, and
0: while he's pulling the drone, you know, I'll, I'll just say, you know, you, you, you talk about your teacher uh, smiling down on Scott. You know, my, my dear chamber music teacher who who's, uh, who, who's now gone, Professor Weiss. He used to say all the time that music is the space between the notes. So even the fact that, um, you know, our you know West, Western music is a little more rigid, you know, that concept is still there. But in, in the Indian tradition, that space is just explored so uh, much more thoroughly.
1: Yes. And I have to say something here, Garrett. I am blown away by Western music, and I'll tell you why. I come from a tradition, a classical tradition, um, that has... The very important concept of lineal melodic progression, which is we do one note, as I'm going to demonstrate, then go to the next note, then go to the next note, because we are used to doing this by ourselves. We don't have a whole big group of musicians that we work with with a different concept. They are all going to be following the path set by the lead. If you were listening to what Bhupatiji was saying a little while ago, he said we have to accompany the mood of that song. Mm -hmm. And that song is chosen by the person sitting in the center, which will be somebody like me playing the v or singing. And the drummers and the violin accompaniment, everybody follows that. But we're all on that melodic exploration, linear. So one note at a time, we climb like that. We don't do this parallel processing, as I call it, coming Mm -hmm. from the computer world, (laughs) (laughs) in the harmony type of representations. Mm -hmm. When C is being sung there, somebody is doing a B here, somebody else is doing a different tone somewhere else on a different instrument, like your bassoon. Wow, I love that instrument. Mm-hmm. So people do it differently. At the same point of time, we have sounds coming from different sources that all sound so beautiful together. I've always wondered about the mind of those great classical composers of western music on how can they think in these parallel paths and imagine till I became a composer myself I, I appreciate it even more now when I write for western instruments because that was not my training
0: ah, so I, I yeah.
1: have to think outside the box and I love that challenge which is how I made my collaborative album last year that released my three the music of friendship when I wrote I had to think of how would Pat O'Keefe play this on how would it sound on the you know, saxophone as opposed to Michelle Kinney on the cello. And how will I bring my Vena in here to compliment them? Mm. Um, how will Bubadhyana play? How will Tim O'Keefe play? Or if I work with a different classical musician, then I'm thinking, how are they going to play? How is that instrument going to sound? I never had to do all that. I was selfishly always thinking about my Vena and my Vena and the sound <laughs> of my Vena yeah. and what can I do with my Vena. Now, when I think about these compositions, I said, those composers have to be so good at those different instruments and be masters at them to create such masterful works. So I'm, I'm saying this because this has always been something that I admire and respect about the classical tradition of the West because it's a completely different paradigm that yeah. it's working from as opposed to the Indian tradition, which I, I simplify by saying you know, linear melodic progression of notes.
2: I'd like to ask you a question about collaboration because yes. um, I studied slide blues guitar with a, a local instructor here named Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. And um, he turned me on to uh, an, a recording called A Meeting by the River. Have ah. you heard?
1: Is it by Chaurasia?
2: It's uh, Rai Cooter and Vishwa Mohan Bhatt. Vishwa Mohan Bhatt. Mm-hmm. yes, yes, yeah. I
1: have I've heard it. Rai and that was,
2: that was such a discovery. I didn't think about how well a steel guitar from the Delta would work mm. with your instruments from India. Uh, have you ever made a collaboration with I'm a, a guitarist rem- like that?
1: Yes. I'm trying to remember with who did I play with the steel guitar. I'm trying to remember. I'm, I'm blanking out now. I, I could get you that name very easily, but he was a very easy from Philadelphia. And when I was in Australia, he used to, he was at that time working for BBC in mm. Perth. Mm-hmm. So, We had a session, I'm trying to remember, was it a pedal guitar or a steel guitar that he brought? Yes, to answer your question, coming back to which guitar that I I know really well with collaboration is our local Minnesota master, Dean McGraw.
2: Oh yeah, of course. Dean
1: McGraw and I have played a lot together. Oh, nice. At the Cedar and some other venues, and most recently we were at the State Capitol celebrating Mahatma Gandhi together. Mm. And Dean is a master at mm-hmm. improv, and and a great artist with whom I've had the honor of working. So acoustic guitar, yes. I worked with Steve Call another fabulous from the Brass Kings. Yeah. Um, I have worked with uh, Anthony Cox, the master oh, yeah. bass player. Yeah, yeah. And we had a band, have a band called Carnatic Energy. So I have been very lucky. So if I start thinking now, I can start giving you names of people I've worked with. And another instrument um, that blows my mind away is, of course, the saxophone clarinet and the wind family. Mm -hmm. But the guitar is like the Indian cousin um, is the Veena. Guitar's Indian cousin is the Veena. I
2: I was curious as to how um, uh, musicians from our more American tradition would m- meld with yours? The,
1: the main thing is first, they wish to do it. You know, if somebody wants to do it, then they are already realizing what is it that might take Mm -hmm. to do. And they are very, very generous in Minnesota. That way is a great place for that. And um, when we sit down to play, the one of the things we talk about is the drone, that philosophy of how I work with the drone and if that can be done. And the second important idea is improvisation or improvisation. Forgive my accent. I've lived too many places in the world (laughs) to, to have a Anything proper, I right? mix and match. But when they improvise, if they like to improvise, then this is the place to go because then a lot of it is improvisation and improvisation.
0: If you, you know, in a uh, you know, in the Western world, especially here in the United States, there's this big struggle and this big push to keep, you know, classical music, quote unquote, relevant and to and to pass it on uh, to the next generation. Is that? Um, an issue in your experience with this music being uh, so closely related to the culture of, of, of South India. It seems like it will always be there considering its history.
1: Yes. And I feel like I should say yes to the answer, but I have to say, there's always a, you know, this big question mark. Will this continue? Will this continue? Because we come from, we being all of us classical musicians, is a smaller group of people. It's already a niche kind yeah. of a group. Yeah. And that's true for Indian classical music too. It's definitely not as popular as Bollywood, or you know, India has so many different music-making parts of the country. We have Kollywood and Tollywood and all of oh, that okay. in India. <laughs> so it's definitely not in that popularity zone at all. So we are worried about that. But I have to say, it fills me with hope that when I begin teaching and I say I'm ready to take on students, my numbers are forever growing and we have to close registration at some point for private lessons because that tells me that our parents, uh, parents being our community parents, um, are interested in keeping and propagating this art. I have many parents who have come to me who said, we didn't receive this opportunity when we were growing up or we didn't take it seriously enough when it was given to us. So now we want to give our children this opportunity. Will you teach our children? And there's nothing more satisfying than have the next gen perform and sing. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm not saying they all have to become professional musicians like me. That's not very practical because we need an audience too. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, if they found a friend in music then I consider myself very lucky to have given them that taste for a friend for life in music. You know, go home and come back from work and pick up your instrument or sing or play the drums or find a safe place for yourself where you can be yourself and come come out of it energized and positive to take on the next day. That's all we look for. And I do have to say I have about 10 or 15 young people, including my own daughter, who's my disciple, who have become musicians, boldly become musicians. Just yesterday, we were discussing this uh, when we were sitting in an airport book with the G and I about the future. It's a very tough profession. And yeah. I came home and the discussion continued with my husband because my daughter is studying music and uh, doing a second master's in music. And my husband is like, are you sure this is going to be sustained? Where is she going to get insurance from? And practical sure, things like that. Sure. And um, I don't have answers, but I have faith. And I I just told him, I'm I'm being foolish maybe in saying this, uh, but Bhuvatiji said she's a very hardworking kid. She's going to do well in everything because he had the same doubt. When she went to Princeton to study molecular biology, and practically went into music for ma- as a major now. That switched. She became a music major with a minor in vocal performance. And, mm. of course, she had neuroscience because she wants to connect the brain and music at some point. right? And, but she's a composer, a Minnesota-born, raised composer now mm-hmm. and studying music now. That's what she's doing. So we were talking about the practicality of it, Garrett. I know you asked about tradition continuing, but I'm talking more. You know, more practically, of course. because yeah. I don't real know life. for real life. I don't know which of my students are going to become professional musicians, but some of them are already telling me they want to. And I have told them, you got to travel a lot. You have to work all the hours. Every day is a vacation. Every day is a work day.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I, I know that story. <laughs> I can't tell
2: you the number of composers I've talked about on the air that when they first went to university, they were studying law. Or right. something else before they switched over. So you tell your daughter <laughs> that there's plenty of famous composers that have all the reverence in the world
0: that were supposed to be a lawyer. Yeah, I mean I started as an English major myself. There so, you go. Yeah,
1: and my background, if you know computer science and mm, right. look at me sitting here and talking about <laughs> music the whole time. So I, I I, truly believe the universe will provide and I also believe music will provide. I have this faith and Bhubadhyana always says that. He says, if you work hard, that work ethic, if you have a positive attitude and belief and love with a passion and work with a passion, it's not enough to just love with a passion. <laughs> we oh, got to back oh, it up yeah. with some serious work.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So if we... Uh, taught uh, or ha- 100 students. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are getting out of 100, there will be a two mu- musicians and 98 listeners, sure, sure, <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. so important. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's I'm, why I'm we not survey <laughs> our music art form,
1: we survive it like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, Well, we're definitely going to listen to some music, but but I have I have one more question, sure. so um. Namala, when we met at um, the American Composers Forum uh, convening, I remember you talking to me about how important it is not just for uh, the music to have a, a place and visibility, but the traditional dress also to have, <laughs> uh, you know, to be visible. And, and the both of you are, are in a traditional <laughs> dress right now. I, I'm, I'm curious about uh, the importance and the relationship between that and the performance of the music.
1: Absolutely. I believe that um, it's important to look and feel your best first sure. every time. And it's our responsibility when you we're in front of so many people also to represent the art form in every possible manner, visually and uh, musically. And as musicians, as you know, we uh, the dancers, I envy them because they've got this great jewelry and this great costumes. And when they come and stand on stage, the Indian classical ones, or any dancer for that matter, you're just like, oh, this is so beautiful. Because For what it's
0: worth, your jewelry is also very beautiful. Thank you very much. That's so kind <laughs> of you.
1: But the point is that we don't, as musicians, we don't move around. We don't express with you know, all these great emotions. We use the human body completely. We use it in a different way. We're static. We're sitting on stage. We don't move around much. And I think photographers, when they phot- photograph musicians, <laughs> they have to find some really interesting angles. Yeah. But dancers, you can get all of that. So that's the first point, that we... Need to be dressed in the right way, um, because I also believe it's part of the experience. The second thing I believe is when you get dressed like this, you prepare yourself mentally also, as oh. you're getting ready for the process. That
0: makes sense. Yeah, you know
1: when um I even use the example of when you go to church, you 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 are having a special time. You think to go and commune uh, as a community and talk to God or by yourself, whatever it is. You light a candle. You light a lamp. It 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 that act is putting your mind in a different place. I believe, and just like that, getting ready, um, and and looking like you know you you want to perform, and the whole act of getting ready, the ten minutes that you prepare yourself or fifteen minutes, readies you and puts you in the moment mm. of performance. So I believe the clothing and the attire is as much important, and a true representation of the culture. And I tell you, Garrett, these are so comfortable. You try sitting in jeans <laughs> and playing the Vena. You sit down in jeans and play the Vena. I'm not very comfortable with that. I like my loose pants. I don't like tight clothes when I'm sitting down there. So this is extremely comfortable. It's like a skirt. You know, you wrap around some clothing around sure. the skirt. And you sit down, and it's very freeing to play. So I think this is also a comfort factor, selfishly.
0: sure. <laughs> sure. Um, and, and before we uh, hear the two of you play a little music, um, if there's someone who has never experienced uh, Indian music before, um, other than, of course, uh, looking up and buying your albums, <laughs> uh, what what should a person search for? What, 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 is, what would you say is a good starting point?
1: Um, a good one would be uh, to first listen to different instruments of Indian music, including the voice, Um, So go and Google or search on Carnatic music, Indian classical music, put down different instruments. First look for the names, then find the names, make a note of them, go look for artists playing the veena or playing the Saraswati veena, which is how my instrument is called, or the mridangam or vocal or violin or flute, because you will find a whole list of them. And then when you start listening, then you will start feeling, listen to a few. So there's different styles. So you may not exactly hit the best thing right away. Because as you know, Google doesn't have quality control. So you can just get something and they may not be your best experience. So just Google out these various things, uh, search it out, and then figure out what might appeal to you and start following. Slowly listen. But I, I have to say, go to a concert in person. Sure. Nothing Mm. like the live experience. I mean, this conversation, I don't know if it would have happened better uh, in a different way, but except to sit with you and actually talk to you, you know, it's a very different thing watching your faces and saying, uh, you know, whatever you're giving me in, in assurance or confirmation or you know, I should change my tactics. This is not working, <laughs> whatever.
2: <laughs> I don't know if you've ever met a friendlier audience than what you have this in front the, of you right now. This is
1: the best. This is the best. <laughs> and such a an, you know, lovely way to just talk about things. I didn't. I didn't come here with any ideas of what we might talk, but you made me feel so comfortable. That's the same thing for an audience member. You go there, sit there, don't have any expectation, just see what you get. And there's enough venues in town in Minnesota and other countries and other places in the States to get live music. So anything go live. That is never to be duplicated. That's the beauty of Indian music, too. If you see a YouTube recording, you're going to find somebody talking or playing that day, talking in music, I mean, Mm -hmm. of what they felt that moment and somebody's camera capturing that. There's so many variants in there. You didn't get the live experience. So if I were them, I would just... Just head out to a concert hall. I would do that. If okay. I want to experience anything that I've never experienced, I, yes, do my homework, but I, I try and make it to a concert in or a, a play or whatever it is, but a talking or reading in person to...
0: Well, to, I'm ready to experience some of that now. you are
1: ready to play for you. Nirmala
0: Bhupati, thank you so much. This, is, this has been a blessing to me. I've, I've been thank so you. moved uh, by this entire conversation. So thank you so much for the work that both of you are doing. And thank you for uh, coming to sit with us today. Again, namaste. 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 And may I say
1: namaste. thanks for your show. Your podcast is, is a very popular one among my circles of friends. And I'm just thrilled there's a space for this in our world today. So to both of you, Scott and Garrett. And of course, I'm very honored to be on your show. N- nobody could ask for a better Monday morning. <laughs> We're <laughs> so glad you. to have you. <laughs> Thank, you, so so
2: to have you Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.